You know, I think one of the best stories today, because there's there's a lot of stuff happening, and, and we cover it all on the podcast today. We also have a woman who came from China uh, and lived through the Mao Cultural Revolution, remembers it, almost turned her mom in. It's crazy to comment on what just happened in Colorado with the new guy who's a Marxist who wants a forceful cultural revolution uh, to happen in uh, Colorado. Yeah. He's in their house, but don't worry about it. Um, she's here. Uh, we talk about that. Maui is big special tonight. But I think that kid in Colorado that had the don't tread on me patch, that the school kicked him out, it's, it's phenomenal that that's turned around. And the Democrat that is the governor actually helped turn it around. It feels like there's more and more incidents of like the, like this that are going yeah. on, but they are getting away with them less. I think they're getting caught more frequently, and that's good. Except at the federal level. Oh, yeah, well, we're screwed there, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So we talk about how do we strengthen ourselves? Uh, should we should we kind of separate ourselves uh, and, you know, blue people live in blue places and red people live in red places? Or is that the exact opposite of what we should do? Great podcast for you today, and here it is. A couple of really, really good stories first. Um, let me tell you about the uh, kid in, um, in Colorado. Jaden is a 12-year-old boy. He attends Vanguard School, Colorado Springs, Colorado. He's, he's in this video. I, you may have seen it. It went viral on social media. It shows he and his mom confronting a school board administrator, uh, administrator who says that he has to take the Gadsden flag patch off of his backpack because it's too disruptive. And they're like, it's too disruptive. What are you talking about? It's too disruptive. We don't want the flag displayed in school because of its origins with slavery and the slave trade. Now, I'm just trying to figure that one out historically. I mean, I, I can't, I don't know. Don't tread on me. How does that relate to the slave trade at all? Okay, it doesn't. It clearly doesn't. And these are the kind of boobs that we have running our schools. All right. They have no idea what they're even talking about. Now, Jaden, who is kicked out of class for having the patch, says there's no origins of slavery. This 12 year old, no origins of slavery. And uh, the school's director says, well, this is being very disruptive in the school environment. So they removed him from class. Mom fought back against it, explaining the coiled snake above the phrase, don't tread on me, is not a pro-slavery image. It has origins in the Revolutionary War. It was a symbol of resistance to British tyranny. I'm free. Don't tread on me. So you could say it's actually an anti-slavery. If you want to talk about slavery, it would be anti-slavery because it came from the north. It came from uh, New England. New England had already banned slavery. But it's not about that at all. It's not. It's about the British tyranny. Don't tread on me. 
So now all these experts are like, no, it's not, it's, it's slavery, it's slavery, and it's connected to patriot groups. Okay, okay, all right. So wait, the flag chose to be part of a patriot group? The flag's like, the snake's like, I gotta, I gotta, I guess I just love white people. Is that what happened? Jeez. Libertarians have adapted this. Lefty groups, a pro-LGBT group has adopted it as well. It's really nothing to do with a snake. The snake was sewn on or printed on. I don't know if you, it's kind of like a gun. The gun didn't make the decision. The person did. So this is, uh, this is a flag that's already gone through the government, EEOC. They were like, oh, that, you know, that. somebody was, was suing because the Gadsden flag is slavery. EEOC said, yeah, no, it's, it's not a racist symbol. Okay, so the EEOC. I don't think I've ever agreed with anything the EEOC has ever done. So the ruling has come out. The school cannot discriminate against uh, Jaden's viewpoint by declaring that this is just, uh, you know, a racist symbol and one that will be disruptive. Even the governor of Colorado, a Democrat, said the Gadsden flag is a proud symbol of American revolution and an iconic warning to Britain or any government not to violate the liberties of Americans. Yeah, it's almost like it's appropriate today when they're telling you you can't speak out at the school board meeting in that don't tread on me seems like a pretty good motto or when they're telling you stay at home you're killing every grandmother on the planet wear this mask could i have the don't tread on me flag on the mask could i do that that would be weird i wonder if you put a mask and the don't tread on me flag together if they cancel each other out and disappear. Most people don't know that the snake was really a important signal, a, a symbol for our founders, the snake and the skull, the skull usually would have a crown above it. And it represented no King, but God, the King dies and he becomes a skeleton. So no king but God. The snake was selected because it doesn't want to bite you. It's just sitting there in the grass. It's like sunning itself. It's like, ah, the sun is so great. And you come walking along. Da, 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 and what does it do? It doesn't sneak up on you and bite you. It rattles. Stop where you are. I mean, I have a, I have a ranch. Rattlesnakes everywhere. I kind of like it because it's extra security. Go ahead. Come across that field. Do it. Rattlesnakes everywhere. Now, if you're smart, you're paying attention. It was like booby traps. But these booby traps, they actually rattle before they bite. Stay away from me. Don't walk on me or I'll bite. That's why our founders loved it. It wasn't an aggressive thing. Well, I mean, if you're a mouse, but if you're a human, it's not an aggressive thing. It's minding its own business. You 
You know, there's a the very first political cartoon ever done in America was done by Benjamin Franklin, and it was a rattlesnake. And it looks pretty much like that snake on Don't Tread on Me. It was a rattlesnake, and it was cut into 13 pieces. And it had on each piece, each state or each colony. And underneath, it just said, unite or die. Meaning we could all go our own separate ways. The king will cut us up. We'll help him. Or, uh, or we could join together and live. I bring this up because, by the way, the kid who is fantastic. I love this kid. This kid, by the way, his favorite book is The Creature from Jekyll Island by the Tuttle Twins. Love this kid. Okay. He knows what he's talking about. He's back in school with the flag on his backpack today. Congratulations. Now, I see a lot of things that are happening at the state level, even in, in states like Colorado. Colorado just put in their, um, uh, in their, in their house, Colorado, Coloradians, Colorado, Colorado, people from Colorado decided that they really thought this teacher who is a Marxist and wants a Mao-like cultural revolution. He talks about an aggressive cultural revolution. That's code for Mao. They just elected him and put him in the house. Okay, it's their state. You can do it. You also have people like this. Now, the question is, and I mean this sincerely. The time is coming when we are in real trouble, real trouble. I don't know if you saw Tucker on X yesterday. He did an interview with um, Viktor Orban from Hungary. Okay, that's a little frightening. Victor Orban's like, yeah, yeah, World War Three. Everybody here knows Ukraine is losing. There's no way to win. You got to make peace right now, because the only thing you can do is start sending boots on the ground to help them because they're out. You do that. It's World War Three. You start sending the jets over and everything else. World War Three. He'll use a nuke. He will. You should probably trust the people who have been taken by the former Soviet Union and have lived next to Russia our whole existence. You should probably listen to us. I mean, there's an ocean between you and us. You know, you may not know what's best. I think he's right on that. But as tough times come and you live, if you live in Washington, D.C., there's no way you get a fair trial. No way. I think if you live in New York City, there's no way you get a fair trial. If it's political, if you're like, uh, yeah, my child is my child, not your child. They're not going to get a sex change. No, you're not going to get a fair trial. California, do you really think? Now, things are changing, for instance, in Washington, D.C., I don't know if you've seen the climate activists that have glued themselves to the roadway again. Honestly, I just think, did you see the, 
I think it was in New Mexico, but it was on the native side. I think it was on the Navajo Nation. You know, Burning Man was happening, and these dopes just blocked traffic, and traffic was blocked forever. And they were on the Navajo side, so the Navajo Rangers came. They just took their truck and went through the blockade and then turned around and started going. And the kids were like, they can't do that. What are they doing? We're not violent. Well, you can't. And the guy gets out of the truck with his gun. He's like, get out on the ground right now. And he's aggressive. Yeah, he's aggressive. And these hippies are like, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're in a different country. You don't think you are, but you are. You're in the Navajo Nation now, and they don't play by the same rules. In Washington, D.C., all of these climate activists were out, and uh, uh, people were blocked. Now, this has happened two days in the last two weeks. People are blocked for like an hour, two hours. They're just blocked, and they're getting out of their cars, and they are starting to accost these people, and they're like, What do you think you're doing? I have a house payment. I have a car payment. I'm raising kids. I'm trying to feed my family. Get the hell out of the street. And it's getting ugly. It's getting really ugly. The people, the good news is, I think the people have had enough of this. They've had enough. For that to happen even in Washington, D.C., that's interesting. So now they, I don't know, they, they, they took a chisel and got the guy's hand, you know, uh, off of the concrete. But they were all arrested. They'll be back because they think they're Martin Luther King. So they'll be back. But the question is, which way is your state going? And should we consider, because I know I have. I moved to Texas for a reason. I have a ranch in Idaho for a reason. I bet on two states. There's other states that I'm sure might, you know, actually stand to. And these two states might eventually fall. I don't know. But I bet on two states. I didn't want to be in New York. Those people will eat you. They will. It's going to get very when when there's no food and, you know, because of, you know, the Green New Deal, when uh, all of that wind power is producing all the electricity that it's supposed to uh, produce and nobody has any power. And you're in Washington, D.C., and you're in a skyscraper, 55, 60 stories tall with people in it and their children and they're all hungry. I don't know. I don't know. Some new recipes might be tried out. I'm just saying. Or do we stay in those places because we know that our founder said, unite or die? And what we're doing is we're separating ourselves. I, I, I don't have an answer for this. I really don't. I'm, I'm really struggling with this. Do we unite or do we separate? Do we balkanize? Bad idea. But is it the only idea? I don't know. Because I got to tell you, I'll never go to Washington, D.C. Never again. Because I know if I'm arrested for some political reason, I'll never get a fair trial. Never. Never. 
This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and we really want to thank you for listening. Okay, let me play. Can I start with the audio uh, from last night of Governor DeSantis on television talking about what's happening in Florida? Listen to this. Well, this thing's going to hit us on Wednesday morning. It's going to be a major hurricane. Uh, People need to heed the instructions from their local officials. Uh, You still have time uh, this morning and early afternoon to be able to make the preparations that you need to. You are going to start seeing on the Gulf Coast of Florida some of the effects of this as we get into Tuesday night. Uh, The state, uh, we have tens of thousands of utility workers uh, staged ready to go in for rapid power restoration. Uh, We also have urban search and rescue teams staged, ready to go. If there needs to be uh, rescue operations, uh, we will lead the effort on that. Uh, And then, of course, we have other types of supplies uh, as people need. So so we're ready to go on this. Uh, This is a storm that's hitting a part of the state that hasn't had a major hurricane on the current track uh, in a long time. And so there's a lot of woods, a lot of forests, I think you're going to see a lot of debris as a result of this storm. And that means we have our guys ready to clear the roads. It's amazing. This, they are taking action prior to. You, you remember a year before, to the day, the year before um, Katrina, I was on the air and I told you the most dangerous city in America was New Orleans. Because the levees have been used as a political fundraiser forever, and then they never fix the levees. And I said, it is the most dangerous. If it is hit straight on, it will cause chaos unlike anything we've ever seen. Twelve months later, to the day it was happening, it didn't, it didn't take a, a profit to see it. It only takes somebody who's looking at what is not being done by the government. And the same thing with Maui. You know, the what we've learned from Maui, A, about the government, we'll get into later. But what we've learned is the people can take care of themselves. The, the people are taking care of themselves. The community is coming together. Everyone I talk to that has been to Maui or is in Maui has said the same thing. This is a tight-knit community that is really helping each other. You can't expect a government who is several time zones away to be your first responder. For, for one reason, they suck. They always suck. Okay? You need people closest to the ground. That's why we don't give to big national charities Unless we know they are the first on the ground and they have a long track record of being the first in and the last out. When you give your dollars to Mercury One, you're not really giving them to Mercury One. We are just finding the place where those dollars will get the most bang for the buck because we don't take anything off the top. And so the first places we go are local churches. Uh, you know, the uh, the local churches, the local clubs, the local emergency people that have dealt with these things over and over again. And the churches are usually one of the best places. Well, Greg Laurie, he's the guy who was in the uh, movie Jesus Revolution or that he wasn't actually. And it was about him and that whole revolution. He has a uh, 
he has a church there on Maui in this community. It's uh, it's an amazing story, and they were the the first people out to be able to to help. And we wanted to get the story from him on what's going on. Uh, welcome, Greg. And good to be with you. Thanks so much for inviting me to be on your show. I was actually just in Maui yesterday, and uh, we we've had a church there, as you mentioned, for forty one years now. A friend of my of mine started it. He's a pro surfer. He started this church, and he wanted to retire and asked if we'd bring it into our church family that's called Harvest. And so now it's been a part of our churches for seven years. And, you know, it's usually a very happy thing to go over there, a very close congregation of around a thousand people. And man, when I spoke to him last Sunday, it's like they were all collectively traumatized still, but yet still filled with hope. And, and that is, I think, one of the most important things right now is to bring yes help and thanks to you and Mercury One uh, and others that have helped us. We've been able to bring tangible help to people, helping them get clothing, food. We've helped 100 families in tangible ways financially to survive this thing. But I think the thing that we have to offer that's more important than anything is hope. You know, it's been said that man can live 40 days without food, three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but not one second without hope. And there's a lot of people on this island that have lost hope. Uh, I was talking with J.P. Decker, who works with uh, you at Mercury One, and he brought to my attention the fact that there have been a number of suicides since this has happened among those who have lost their home, their livelihood, and apparently their hope. And so we're really working on that. I, I, you know, from everything I read, the people who were in the water that watched people burn to death and watched people, you know, eventually give up and drown all around them. Uh, the, you know, the the one woman who finally, after two days of looking for her son, she was turned around, turned around by the police and everybody else. And they said, no, we've already cleared all the houses. She went back to what was left of her house and her son's bedroom was still fairly intact. And he was uh, he had not been incinerated and he was sitting on what was his bed holding his dog. Once you see these kinds of things uh, up close and personal and one after another after another, uh, I mean, what are you guys dealing with over there? psychologically you're dealing with trauma you know i know people i think misuse the concept of ptsd but i think you're really seeing this on a widespread scale because these people have experienced major trauma in stories like that one you just shared that's so unbelievable and they were told to not go to their home Mm -hmm. and uh and they were and they were told to to not leave and they were turned back again. And many of those people were incinerated because of that. And for the ones that just broke the law effectively and, and disobeyed what they were told, they, they lived. And so this, without question, has been horribly mismanaged on so many levels. And, but that's, we stepped in immediately because we're there on the ground right. and, and, and in every way possible. I mean, giving people, you know, a man who lost, his livelihood, 
gave him fishing poles so he can go out and fish again. Uh, we have one couple in the church, they own a round table pizza, and uh, they just made all of their pizza free uh, for anybody that wants it. And so we got in this truck and we're driving around just giving pizzas to police officers, to people anywhere. But I'll tell you what, Glenn, people love pizza. I saw the power of pizza. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a little thing. But, but we give it to him in the name of Jesus Christ. Here's a pizza. Thank you. You know, little things matter. But I think, you know, there's something called the ministry of presence, where you're just there, and you listen to people, and you care about people. And, and that goes a long way, because, you know, when you're dealing with trauma, you've got to talk about it. You've got to process it. And, of course, we pray with them, and we point them toward Christ. And because he is the one who's ultimately going to give us the hope we need. You have preschool. Now you're hold, you're allowing the uh, church facilities to be used for teachers and parent groups and, you know, educational support. And then the preschool is, is child care for families. Uh, I mean, you, this is turning into kind of a full time uh, thing. How long can the church do that? We'll do it as long as it needs to be done. And we're working with other organizations, Mercury One, Samaritan's Purse, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Yeah, right. We're also we're also helping people just with the practical things like uh, filling out their insurance forms and making their claims because a lot of these people don't know how to do it. Uh, they didn't have internet for quite a while. We brought in some of those Starlink yeah. systems so people could just there was like literally there was no communication on this island. Uh, you people couldn't text each other. They couldn't call each other. They they couldn't communicate at all. And this fire, as you know, just incinerated everything in its path. I, when I got there, we we got down on what is called Front Street, and uh, that's kind of the main destination of Lahaina. People come from around the world to visit. It's a tourist attraction, beautiful street. In fact, on my social media, I posted a drone shot that we had done. Two weeks before this fire, because I was there doing a program with CBN uh, featuring our church in happier days. And I put this drone shot of what Front Street looked like in its heyday, in its glory, right next to a shot of the same places that we just took uh, on that same street. And it looks like a war zone. Hmm. It's just it's, it's incomprehensible because I pretty much know every square inch of that street. And, you know, think of. All those buildings, your favorite stores and restaurants, but even more, obviously, the loss of life. I mean, you're walking through effectively a graveyard, and, and it's, it's very sobering. It's very sad. And, but at the same time, I, I see, you know, the Bible talks about beauty coming out of ashes, and I see that happening there. You know, here's the amazing thing is downtown in Lahaina, there's this tree. It's a banyan tree. And it was actually planted, interestingly, uh, dedicated to the first missionary that came to Lahaina. And this tree somehow survived. And to me, it's a picture of resilience and, and about how if a person is rooted in a relationship with God, they can survive anything. And I think that tree has, in many ways, become a symbol for the people on the island. They're going to come back again. They're going to rebuild again. But the loss of life, those people can never be replaced. 
Greg Laurie, um, he is the real-life guy that you might have seen in the um, uh, Jesus Revolution. That was his story. Uh, and he is a senior pastor at Harvest Christian Fellowship. Uh, one, of their, uh, one of their branches is right there in Lahaina in uh, Maui. And he has been on the scene. The church has been working. And thank you, Greg, for being such a good steward of the money that Mercury One has given the church to be able to to help all these people. Thank you. Uh, we we like to give it to people who understand sacred money. Well, Glenn, thank you so much. And for all the folks that invested, we really appreciate it. And God bless you all. Thank you very much. Uh, so you so you know, um, the several of the charities that he mentioned, um, Billy Graham and, and Samaritan's Purse, um, we helped them uh, get the first, I think it was a C-130, um, off the ground right away when this was happening. That was also um, your money, and we appreciate it. If you'd like to help and then help those who are now in Florida as well, I, I, government is not the thing. It is the local people that always fix the problems. Uh, so why send your money to an inefficient where they're using maybe 40 cents on every dollar. Uh, the rest in is, is in overhead. 100% of the money goes directly to whatever it is we're trying to serve uh, in disaster relief. Give to local charities and local people. And if you don't know who to give there, you can go to Mercury One and we will find those people for you. MercuryOne.org. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. So let me tell you this story real quick. Teacher, Colorado. He gets up and he says all kinds of things in his uh, classroom. Went on a Marxist rant. He said, I want to tear some S up for you. Are you ready? What's happening in our schools? It's showing up in our classrooms. You know, we have ideological circles up here. We, we compete on who knows Marx better, who knows Lenin, uh, Lenin better. I'm a Leninist. I'm a Marxist. Kids don't care. It's important to know the theory, but you have to have some practices. You have to get out into the streets. You have to get out into the workplace. You have to go with, with your families. We're just sitting, talking in an ideological circle, and our kids still going to schools that are underfunded, where they're investing more in their failure than in their success. Your communist theory won't save you. Only revolution will save you. And it won't be the person who understands Lenin or Marx the best. It will be a revolution that is led by the people. He has said, quote, I'm for a forceful cultural revolution. He goes on. There's much worse things that he said. But here's the good news. In Denver, the uh, State House of Representatives had an open seat and the Democrats have just appointed him to take that seat in the state house. So you have an open Marxist in the state house of Colorado who's calling for a forceful cultural revolution. Well, there is somebody that is running for the country's house, uh, and she knows all about this. She was actually supposed to be a guest on this show. She was here in our green room the day Robin Williams died, 
and we haven't had a chance to have her back. She's now running for the U.S. House. Her name is Lily Tong Williams. She's a survivor of Mao's Cultural Revolution and recognizes all the signs. And she is now running for Congress in New Hampshire's 2nd Congressional District again. She's already there now. Welcome. How are you? Well, thank you for having me back, Glenn. You're it's welcome. great to see you both here. Yeah. yeah. And the great introduction. Yeah. And uh, my my story um, is like American dream story. Yeah. And like you mentioned it, I don't like what's going on in our country today. I'm very terrified. The terms they're using and the tactics they're using. What does a forceful cultural revolution mean? Means uh, use whatever violence necessary to destroy the old traditional cultures, systems, institutions, also nuclear families. Mm. I have been calling this American Cultural Revolution for a few years. Right. Me and other Chinese immigrants. I know. And we're very, very loud on, on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> and Good. to educate people, and I have a, on my YouTube channel, I interview immigrants who fled totalitarian regimes like Cuba, you know, uh, um, with Venezuela and China and Vietnam. We are talking about the same thing. What's going on in our beloved new country? And uh, But lots of people, especially our youth in this country, they don't realize it because they don't know they never lived it yeah. under. It, you know, it was uh, Victor Orban was talking to Tucker Carlson yesterday, and he said, you know, you guys have an ocean between you and Russia. They occupied Hungary. Listen to the people of Hungary. We know how they operate. And I hear that all the time from immigrants like you that come here. You thought you got away from it. You were in a free country. And now the same exact language and the same tactics. It's happening. Yes, I summarize Mao's features of cultural revolution. I was two years old to 12 years old. I was indoctrinated to believe only communism or religions were demonized. And I would go home, tell my Buddhist mom to say, stop praying. You know, it's like a, you should believe Mao and believe in communism. I was a child. Of wow. course, I did not know. And I feel guilty. <laughs> and it's like, thank goodness I did not turn my mom in. Because during the Mao's Cultural Revolution, if you believe in any other religions, you're Christian, Buddhist, whatever other religion you believe in, you are deemed to be one of the five black classes, and you are counter-revolutionary, and you should be the enemy of the people. And don't you feel like this is, um, in, a, in an insidious way, almost the same things that are going on now? They're teaching our kids that your parents are wrong on things, don't listen to your parents, mm -hmm. and your parents should be shut up and maybe you should be taken from them. I mean, well, that, I published my op-ed when New Hampshire trying to pass parental rights bill, but sadly we failed to pass in New Hampshire. I published my story growing up under Mao that uh, there is always a secret between um, schools and the parents mm -hmm. because they truly believe pa um, parents have no rights. Your children belong to the state. Of course, that's the how communists think. Why right. would I come to America to testify to support parental rights? Is that the inherent human rights, natural rights? 
an American value that kids belong to us, belong to the parents, not belong to the village, belong to the societies. It's very scary to see what's going on here. So you've been in Congress, and I would imagine you know the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution better than a lot of the Americans that you serve with. That's what brought me to this country. When I was in law school in China, third year, I was looking for something because I was totally depressed, lost, because I was told to study law. It's not for justice. It's not for equality. It's actually communist party's tool to govern the people. So I become But you very, didn't know that at the time when you first got in. You were still part of, you know, the brainwashing. Well, why start to ask questions when Mao died when I was 12 and then 14 years old and party said Mao is not a god, Mao actually was a human being, and he made a mistake. So I was said, I was talking to myself. Oh, that means I was lied to. I mm. was chanting "Nanglei Chimai Mao" for straight six years in government schools. He was like a god to me. He because I went home, demonized my own mother who is a Buddhist. Wow. And uh, then I say, long live Chiang Mao, 10,000 years, double 10,000 years. That's one million years. How did he die? I had a little brain left. I was asking that question inside of my head when he died. And then later, party said, okay, he was a human being. I was totally lost. And I said, I'm going to study law. When I have a chance to go to college, I'm going to transform China to rule of law society, no longer rule of man. But I was wrong. I realized I could not achieve that dream in China because uh, I realized there's a one-party dictatorship. But I went to this dancing party I, and I met foreigners and um, I met one American student. And later he asked me to visit him in the foreign student's dormitory. And he's the one who told me about the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution. My light bulb turned on. Evans. I have individual rights and liberty. After that, he put America in my head. And I was talking to myself, you know, oh, I have individual rights. I shouldn't have to report who I'm going to see when I go to see him. We're supposed to register at the dormitory door to say who I'm going to meet. What is my major? Where's my dormitory address? There was guard at each foreign and students and the scholars' buildings. So I did not have a right to talk to anybody. I had to report it. So I was very rebellious, and I slipped into his building a couple of times, talking more about USA. And I thought, oh, this is a great country. All men are created equal. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you are born Chinese, and you have different skin color, but you are created by God. You have an individual right by being you, born by being you. My light bulb came on and never turned off. So I said, oh, this is a cool country. If someday I have to leave China, wow. and this is a country I will come. So I always had America in my mind. So how, how, third year. How of, difficult, because it was so foreign to you. We, you know, we say we hold these things to be self-evident. How long did it take you to realize that that was self-evident? I mean, when he said those words at first, you didn't, you couldn't have understood. No, I was puzzled. I said, that's why I asked him, what do you mean? What is self-evident mean? Because in China, I grew up in a communist country. Their rights are collective sense, right. workers' rights. So 
my parents are illiterate workers. They had workers' rights, peasants' rights, and the soldiers' rights, teacher rights, women's rights, all collective sense. I never heard individual has a right. Wow. And、uh, that was just I I couldn't quite get it. So that's why I had to go back. And when I went back, I already started rebelling. I'm not going to register. So I did not register at the door because I knew what we were talking about is supposed to be not PC. I will get into trouble to say I'm going to spend lots of time with this American student, you know. So I just slick in and slick out, and、uh, but I feel like、uh, there's something excitement. You know, in me. So when you came here, you you didn't plan on running for Congress until you started seeing things go wrong. We're talking to Lily Tong Williams. She's a, a candidate for the U.S. House、uh, in New Hampshire. She's already a Congressperson. No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm、oh, not, not elected yet. <laughs> oh, I thought you were already. I thought you were running. I did not、term. win last year. Oh, you year. <laughs> didn't win last year. Okay. Yeah. So okay. I was on your radio show last year. Yeah. yeah. Talk about ESG right, last right, year. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 So, what is the thing that you are going to? What is the thing you're going to change? What is the thing that you're going in to fight? Well, I'm trying to use my stories to remind people why America was my promised land when I was in China, dreaming about more freedom. And dream about、uh, you know、um, just live my American dream, and it took me twenty years actually in this country learning English, learning the culture to get rid of、uh, the indoctrination I received. And throughout my twenty-four years living in China under one party, CCP dictatorship, we don't want to go down the wrong path because there are lots of people, including some elected into Congress, and push for socialist policies. And、uh, and now I feel like there's some kind of like, for example, when you talk about work and cultural revolution, I feel like、uh, there is some kind of things going on trying to def- defeat America.、Mm. And I thought America is a free country based on individual rights and liberty, like、uh, our forefathers、um, put into founding document. But our young people today remind me my youth. I was a young pioneer, red guards. I was、wow. totally brainwashed, and my parents had no rights. I, I, I just I couldn't even sleep last a couple years, especially during the riots and and the burnings. It's like what's going on? I feel like something re- history is repeating itself, and I feel it's my duty to come out to tell my stories for the whole country to hear me and、uh, my unique.、Uh, Voice matters. We have to have courage now to speak the truth, even though I have been targeted by CCP to say shut up in this country. You are traitors. Like traitor to who? I'm an American citizen. I have a free speech, and I have a citizen's duty to tell the truth. So if I say my country is getting destroyed by the Marxists and, and socialists and young people who don't know what the freedom is about, it's my duty to come out to. Warn people. I don't want to relive another, you know, socialist country. I don't want my children to lose their American dream. If you would like to、uh, help Lily Tang, you can go to lilytangwilliams dot com. L i l y lilytangwilliams dot com,、uh, and help her、uh, on her fight for America, a candidate for the U.S. House. Na, na, na.